Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guest, Peter Chapman, CEO of IonQ. Now, IonQ is a leader in quantum computing and just announced that it is going public in a deal worth $1.4 billion. On the podcast, Peter discusses how he started out in MIT's artificial intelligence lab at only 16 years old and why he continued to pursue technology, the basics of quantum computing, how IonQ is different from other quantum computing competitors, some of the risks that quantum computing presents, the company's strategy behind going public through a merger with DMY Technology Group 3 and its growth plans, and more. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with IonQ's Peter Chapman. I'm super duper excited to have Peter Chapman, CEO of IonQ, on the show today. Recent podcast, we had a literal rocket scientist, and now we have a computer, a phenom. Peter, going into your background, you're comp- uh, programming computers, 16 years of age at the Ar- Artificial Intelligence Lab, MIT, a super, super smart genius type character. Uh, you've been in the technology industry for many decades, wide-ranging career covering video games, fintech, even had a stint at Amazon Prime, and now you're into quantum computing, which is perhaps on the bleeding edge of technological advancement. I was wondering, to start things off, setting the stage, what drew you to the technology industry, and what are you hoping to accomplish? Alicia, I started off my career at the birth of the personal computer industry some 40 years ago, and I have watched over you know, that time, waves of technologies such as the personal computer, internet, and mobile devices, and see them impact every industry and, and drive the economy as a result. So, you know, it's being a technologist, you want to be able to kind of look for the formation of these waves and get out in front and be part of them, because that's what's driving the technology industry and, and the rest. Um, and then as a technologist, if you miss out on one of these waves, you quickly become irrelevant. Right. And so, you know, if you're not careful, you'll become a COBOL programmer <laughs> is kind of the, is, is the, is the analogy. Um, and I think quantum is the next big wave of technology that will power the economy for the next 50 years. And, and maybe more importantly, um, solve some of humanity's largest grand challenges. Yeah. And, uh, Opportunities available in this space seem just so wide-ranging in terms of what you can accomplish with this brand-new technology. But prior to getting into use cases and things of that nature, I wonder if we could get a high-level overview of you know, exactly what quantum computing is and what it seeks to accomplish. For example, I saw this quote in one of your press releases. You stated quantum computing uses information in a fundamentally different way than classical computing and so can address a set of hard problems classical computing may never solve. Can you explain this? Yeah, um, and this is 
this is probably the hardest part of today's conversation is trying to explain kind of um, you know quantum mechanics and and how that works. Right? You're um, too smart for us, Peter. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'll just make the point too, just for investors that there's a tremendous amount of physics that's involved in an Intel processor, and right. most of us don't understand how that works. But you know, um, so this is digging into the weeds a bit. But I'll try. I'll give it my best shot here, mm -hmm. and it is a little technical. So in a uh, classical computer is we have something which is called a bit, and it can represent um, two possible states, either zero or one. Um, and that's kind of the basis for all of computation. And when you add another bit to that first bit, you double the number of possible states. So now it can uh, represent four possible states with two bits. And every time you add another bit, it doubles. So at eight bits, it's in the computer industry, we call it a byte. A classical computer can represent one of 256 possible states, but it can only represent one of those 256 possible states. In a quantum computer, we have something called a quantum bit or a qubit, and it can represent the values of both zero and one at the same time. And if you have eight qubits, they can represent all 256 states at the same time versus the classical computer can only represent one of those 256 states. And so at 80 qubits, um, which is nothing in terms of memory on a classical computer, right? I mean, we've got gigabits, but at only 80 qubits in a, in a uh, quantum computer, you can represent all the possible states that are equal to the number of atoms in the universe. And so with just a very small amount of quantum memory, you can kind of do what, what in essence is a massive amount of parallel processing. And this is what makes quantum computing so exciting. And I'll, I'll give you just a kind of an example of this and the kind of the difference between classical and quantum and why we say that um, classical computing will never be able to do some of the things that quantum for instance, uh, the internet is protected by a encryption algorithm. It's called RSA. Yeah. And um, they say, I guess RSA Corp has said that it would take today's largest supercomputers uh, 300 trillion years to hack a single email using today's largest, you know, computers. Um, a large enough quantum computer could do that in under a second. Oh, wow. And, and so we're talking about that's the difference in, in these things. And so there, there's, um, you know, there's a number of problems in particular. Um, there's a number of business problems and also problems related to nature, which is quantum in nature, where classical computers just don't do a very good job. And so we need a quantum computer to be able to unlock these kind of secrets of nature. So you're talking about a massive step change in terms of performance analogous to perhaps comparing current computers and computing power with those when you started out many decades ago. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, you know, today we probably are not going to build bigger supercomputers, not simply because we could add more processors to it. Um, they tell me that the world's largest supercomputers now consume the power of Hoover Dam. Wow. And no one can afford the electrical bill for one of these, you know, massive supercomputers to get it bigger. I mean, they're they're consuming the electrical power of small cities now. Right. Um, and so 
But amazingly, one of our quantum computers runs off a standard wall socket and soon we'll be able to, you know, to, to compete against the world's largest supercomputers. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So there's massive energy efficiency gains there, computational power gains. Can you talk about, from a practical standpoint, what are some potential use cases these technological advances from quantum computing can accomplish? Like, for, I, I did see some talk about cloud computing applications, financial arbitrage applications. Yep. So um, it's fairly broad because we're really just talking about a different mode of computation. Um, and so it's kind of like asking the question, what are computers good for? And computers are, you know, we've, we've, um, we've found so many ways to introduce computers to help us. Um, and it's a little bit interesting too. These are early days for quantum computers. And I kind of feel like, I, you know, if you went back into the 70s and asked them, what is it they think quantum computers, uh, classical computers would be good for? I think back then they said it was going to be good for calculators. Right. That's a, the that's the kind of the imagination. So I'm sure 10 years from now, somebody will come back and look at this and say, boy, Peter lacked complete imagination as to what quantum would be used for. But um, generally we think, um, you know, machine learning and chemistry will be the first application of quantum computers. But as I mentioned, many of nature's secrets are locked away from today's classical computers because they, they are, the nature secrets are quantum processors, uh, processes. And so they're too complex for today's computers to solve them. So a quantum computer will be able to unlock these secrets, such as, you know, simple things that we, we don't, we, we see every day, but we don't understand how it works, such as photosynthesis. Um, we can't represent that, that simulation in today's classical computers but it's a, it's a quantum process, and that's something that we would be able to do on a quantum computer. And that means you could probably build you know, much better solar cells. Right. Or the chemistry for next-generation batteries or drug discovery. These are all things that we do have kind of a hunt and peck approach, really, today with today's classical computers. But now with these quantum computers, we can actually do the simulation to be able to do the simulation of the chemistry and get to a much better answer. Now, this market, a big growth market, expected to be 65 billion market opportunity by 2030, so in the next 10 years. There's got to be other players chasing the same target that you guys. Who are some of the competitors that you need to worry about, that investors need to worry about, and what makes IonQ different? Well, um, first is the market is seen not only by companies, the world's largest tech companies, as, as this wonderful market for the future, but even governments. So at some level, the United States is competing against China and the EU and, and a host of other um, 
countries in terms of building you know, these quantum computers. Because it is recognized that if we can build a large enough quantum computer, it will kind of power the economy for the next 50 years. So you see um, you know, a great deal of governmental uh, investment in quantum all over the world. You know, Germany just announced 2 billion euros, France the same way, 2 billion euros. Um, China has put in, I believe it's 13 billion in, into quantum. Um, so on one level, we compete with governments all over the world. And then the world's largest tech companies are both our competitors and partners here. So this would be Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, IBM. And so clearly there's a good group of people who think that quantum is going to be the future. Now that to build a, uh, a quantum computer, you really need two things. You need a perfect manufacturable qubit and the ability to control it. In INQ's case, we're using Mother Nature's qubit, which is an individual ion, an atom. And all atoms within one atomic species are identical to each other. Uh, Mother Nature does that for us. We don't have a, a manufacturing process where we have to manufacture qubits. So our qubits are all um, absolutely perfect, and we have no manufacturing or yield error. Uh, most of our competitors are using man-made qubits and are still working on the manufacturing and yield issues. And then the second aspect is how you interact or control the qubit. Qubits fall apart if you play with them too much. They're, I, I like to say they're shy. Um, and, and the real, real thing is that if you, you know, if you, if you do almost anything with them, they just dis, they fall apart and disappear. And the way that we interact with the qubits is we use lasers and photons. And photons, you know, have a very light touch. Um, when I beam a, uh, when I put a flashlight to your skin, you can't feel it because the photons don't have enough mass. And what our competitors are doing is they're running wires to the qubits, and boy, they don't like that at all. And so they quickly fall apart. So today, because of our two different approaches that were, you know, the choice of the qubit and how we interact with it allows INQ to be the leader in quantum computing today. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF, with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So then when you you kind of talked about some of the use cases and and who the customer set would be, what sort of pricing model are you using for for those customers? Today, um, the pricing model is is competitive with uh, kind of supercomputing pricing meaning basically several thousand dollars per hour for compute hours um, is the rough model that we're using today. Okay, and from an investor's perspective, obviously this is brand new technology. The business model at this point hasn't been proven out yet. What are some of the major risks for IonQ investors? Is there like uh, physical limits in terms of quantum computing? Is there still some potential risk on the product side? Yep. Um, so there's 
you know, IONQ has a, a bit of an advantage here um, in that almost everything that we're doing has already been done in one of two university labs from the two co-founders, from the University of Maryland and also from Duke University. So the, um, the two co-founders have been doing this for more than the last 15 years. And so they everything that we've done, they've already done once in the lab. Largely what we're doing is just taking what they've done in the lab and turning it into a product. Um, that cannot be said for the competition. Um, now, having said that, there is still major risks remain. Um, it's always possible that somebody else has a breakthrough, although, you know, that's probably unlikely just simply because this has got a, this is a complicated area. It's not the kind of thing where a kid in a garage is suddenly going to come up with a quantum computer. And, you know, the, the reality is, is we're competing against the largest tech companies in, in the world. So one has to, that's heady competition. But interestingly, these companies are both our competition and also some of our biggest partners and investors. And so, you know, it's an interesting, we both compete against them and we also play well with them as well. So zooming zooming back a bit, I guess, is what what are some of the ethical considerations? I'm sure you're asked about this all the time with with such power with quantum computing. What what are some of those considerations that you have when when building something like this? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, if you could get to a large number of qubits, you could um, you could break all of encryption. And as an example, and that would you know, there, I believe that there's been some some DOD um, people who said the first people that create the big enough quantum computer that can do that wins everything. Because why shoot down a plane if all you can do is just simply hack into the plane, break its encryption, and, and turn off its engines, right? So, um, so with this, you know, um, one of the things that we need to do is to make sure that the technology is used responsibly. Now, um, just for and you know, for everyone's, uh, so they can sleep tonight. <laughs> the, we're not going to break encryption this year. It's probably more than ten years away. So um, no one, no one needs to worry that their internet connection has been broken just yet. Um, but it is the kind of thing, probably ten or fifteen years away, that we are going to have to worry about. Um, who can? You know, we get to a large enough computer, how can we stop, you know, hackers from, from using a quantum computer to break encryption? So clearly we need to upgrade the encryption standards that the world is using. And, um, you know, which is uh, everything from the Internet. You know, but my guess is, you know, just about every computer system in the world uh, is using some form of encryption that will need to be upgraded. It's, it's going to be a Y2K kind of problem, but probably on steroids. Right. And when you think of encryption and use cases, one of the main ones or a big one um, that many investors are interested in is blockchain cryptocurrency. So you're effectively saying that quantum computing would risk perhaps like the Bitcoin blockchain or make it vulnerable to potential hacking? At, at some point, yes. I mean, um, quantum computers um, have that potential both in uh, you know, we, we already know the algorithms. We already know the quantum algorithms for elliptical curve cryptography and also for RSA on how to break it. Um, like I said, the good news is we don't have a big enough quantum computer to actually do that yet. And that's still many years away. All right. Thank, so thank goodness. At some, 
some point, yeah. We in the next ten years, we need to make sure Bitcoin has something which is cryptos is uh, quantum safe. Yeah, no doubt, and perhaps many, many other technologies. We'll have to start thinking about that at some point in the future as this technology develops. One huge part of the IonQ story that I do wanted to get into the weeds a bit on is the recently announced going public transaction merging with DMY Technology Group 3 at a $1.4 billion valuation. We've actually had uh, Nicolo Damasi on the podcast, the CEO of the DMY Technology Group. Uh, he's great, super, super smart guy. So I'm glad you two got a deal going together. So that's very exciting. So, wondering, what's the strategy for going public at the current stage of your business? You know, it's a, it's a it's a bit of a strange um, answer. It was actually COVID, and so um, when COVID started, there was a, a discussion about the country entering a great depression, right, with a forty percent unemployment rate. Um, you know, thank God that didn't happen. But at the beginning, that's what the expectation was. And during such events, the ability for companies to raise additional funds dry up. And so COVID kind of showed us and everyone else, we're not in control of our destiny kind of going forward. Um, and so uh, by going public, it gives us enough funds to be able to get to profitability. And in, in some sense, it was removing a risk that was outside of our control. I mean, we knew that we were going to have to raise again in, um, you know, kind of, in in this kind of time period because we were about to enter a manufacturing phase and that was going to be expensive and so um this allowed us to kind of remove that the risk um would have been a great shame if mankind had not managed to get a quantum computer because because of a, a pandemic and in fact actually quantum computers are probably the things that in the future will stop future pandemics so um, so it was really that kind of uh, this realization that we needed to raise enough money to be able to get to profitability. Um, and it also raising money as a as a company is also a huge distraction. Oh, for sure. Um, and so this allows us to do it in one one swoop and, and be done with that. And it kind of puts us behind us. And this deal comes with a big capital injection into the company. There's the SPAC cash. There's the $350 million pipe financing, participation from Fidelity, Silver Lake, additional institutional investors. What exactly are you going to do with this capital raise you discussed working to profitability? What are the specifics? Um, it's really two, two things. One is um, uh, miniaturizing what we're doing today um, and also getting to the point of, of uh, manufacturing. Quantum is like the classical world. Um, what you need to do is build uh, in the future data centers of quantum computers. And instead of you, you put them on a quantum network, not an ether network, but a, uh, a quantum network and you network them together and they all act as one big super quantum computer. But that means you really need to be able to get these things to be smaller and cheaper and your cost per qubit needs to shrink. And to be able to get there, um, you know, blowing ASICs, um, moving what we're doing today and moving on to specialized chips is an expensive process. Right. And so um, it's really that funds is to be able to shrink it and also to be able to start stamping out quantum computers. Sounds like you guys have a great growth plan happening. I saw your aggressive uh, financial 
projections, where you're aiming to be, if everything goes according to plan for the company, and you guys certainly have huge goals in mind, where do you see IonQ in 10 years? Um, you know, people have said that uh, IonQ is um, uh, kind of, it's like buying into Intel in the early days. I think of it as actually closer to NVIDIA. Um, you know, Jensen brought in a new mode of computation into the market with GPUs, and we're doing something very similar now with QPUs, quantum processing units. So I would, I would hope that if we were kind of ten years out, that you know we're we're there as one of the three modes of, of computation: CPUs, GPUs, and QPUs. And who wouldn't have wanted to get into NVIDIA at a $1.4 billion valuation? I certainly would have wanted to at the time had I, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, right? But uh, this is a fun question from a quantum computing expert's perspective and a computer hobbyist. What do you think would be the coolest application of this technology? Not necessarily the best uh, commercial opportunity, but just a, you know, a really cool opportunity that you think that this technology can solve. So I'm going to actually, can I give you two answers? Oh, for sure. I'm going to, okay, so I think um, one I'm, I'm kind of societally most excited about is is improving drug discovery. Right. Um, you know, today it's it's just, a, it takes forever, it's super expensive, and, you know, when you really look at it, you know, it's, it's not much, I don't know, to me, it doesn't seem much better than a, a dartboard approach to choosing choosing these things. So I think you know, if we can use a quantum computer to do the simulation of the chemistry in the quantum computer and we can run through a million drug trials in the same time it takes to today to run one, then I think we can have a huge impact on kind of, you know, mankind and, and also probably longevity. You know, we can start to cure some of these things. So I, those are things just kind of on one side, I think it has a huge impact on a personal basis. And, and that's a hard one to top. Um, I started off at 16 at the AI lab, and so um, I left AI during the 80s because when I was there, we had 8K of memory, right. and it seemed pretty clear to me that we weren't going to build HAL or, you know, from 2001 with 8K of memory. Yeah. And matter of fact, I didn't think it was going to happen in my lifetime. <laughs> and um, But I actually think with a quantum computer, we have a good shot at it. And so I'm ex actually fairly excited in what a quantum computer can do strong AI. We often use the word AI to really mean machine learning, but I'm really talking about the AI that um, we see in movies, where machines are actually fairly intelligent. And so I think quantum, and I've just recently seen some papers where they have stated that, um, that maybe our intelligence is actually, you know, a quantum process and quantum chemistry. So it gives me hope that maybe that's also something that that we might be able to tackle. Um, that won't be next year, right? The, still years to come, but that's personally what I'm also interested in as well. Yeah, and there's a, whole, a lot of people are hoping that there's some sort of breakthroughs in AGI, artificial general intelligence, and you know the Turing test and, and things of that nature, where you can have this super realistic uh, artificial intelligence, and perhaps quantum computing is the key to that technological development. But Peter, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. A great place to wrap things up uh, for investors 
interested in learning more about the story. Currently trading under DMYI, that's a symbol for DMY Technology Group 3, the SPAC that IronQ is merging with. And when you guys seal up this transaction, become a newly traded public entity, your symbol will be conveniently IonQ, I-O-N-Q. So thanks, Peter. Wish you the best of luck. And I mean, you're working on some really, really cool things here. So we'll be following it closely and uh, wish you the best of luck, both from a market perspective and more importantly, from a technological perspective, because I foresee a lot of really, really cool applications and ultimately benefits to society from this. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure today. All right. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.